0: everyone this is brad hughes school principal and chief encouragement officer from ontario canada and i've got some good news for you you found the good news brad news podcast amplifying stories of heart-led educators moving from positive intention to action great people like you improving kids lives through service connection and finding the fun so glad you're here let's get started Hello again, and welcome back to the Good News, Brad News Podcast. I am your host, Brad Hughes, and I'm so glad you're here to settle in and get comfortable for episode 26 with my guest, Dr. Courtney Plotz from Florida, USA. Courtney is a professor, author, keynote speaker, and advocate for equity and education. She's the National Chair of the Council for At-Risk Student Education and Professional Standards, the only U.S. organization providing standards for working with marginalized and non-traditional students from kindergarten to college. Courtney's role as National Chair includes travel, training and best practices, consulting and research, a role she describes as a pretty cool gig. As we get set up for episode 26, I'm reminded that there are 26 miles in the Standard Marathon. And you may have heard that re-establishing relationships, community, and belonging in our schools post-pandemic is a marathon, not a sprint. As we pace ourselves through this marathon, we find ourselves at a critical moment for reflection on our learning spaces and pedagogy. A reckoning with the needs of our students, families, and faculties, whose own experiences with school have been fundamentally disrupted and altered. Meeting these needs requires reinvention of individual and collective teaching practice, demanding time and energy that are scarce. As the emergency situation continues and tensions remain high, Perspectives and priorities narrow to meeting immediate safety and sustenance needs. Rather than reinvention, it's understandable that we would retreat to our most recent, familiar or comfortable practices. In her work, Courtney looks at the parts of culture that are frequently left out of best teaching practices. The parts that actually motivate and engage students The parts that make our spaces and practices even more relevant and engaging. For students who Courtney describes as citizens, stakeholders, and decision makers within our classrooms. Courtney confirms that the reflection required for reinvention to meet our learners' needs is going to be tough. Tough before we ask people to reflect on their own stresses and challenges of educating through the pandemic. When educators pour out so much, how can we ensure that the profession provides them a space to be poured into? Courtney believes that it's never been more important to give our educators time, empathy, and personal investment. And it really shows. I know you'll enjoy getting to know Courtney today, and after hearing her story, you'll be eager to connect with her too. So... Here's my interview with Dr. Courtney Plotz today on the Good News, Brad News Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back once again to the Good News, Brad News Podcast. I'm super excited to be talking with Dr. Courtney Plotz, a professor, an author, a speaker, an advocate for equity in education. She's joining me from Florida in the U.S., Courtney, welcome to the Good News Brad News podcast.
1: Thanks, Brad. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Let's just dive right in and get started by asking you, Courtney, to tell us about your different roles, your professional, personal, community roles. What would you like listeners to know about you?
1: Sure, sure. So um, I think uh, it's always good to start with personal because, you know, that's what you kind of small talk with people about. So I am married. I have a husband. Um, Fun fact, we met on the internet. We only met twice and got married. So we've been married 15 years. Um, I, have, um, a, I have two sons. One is older, he's adopted, he's 26. And then our little guy is 11. And I have a dog and a cat. And so we manage all of those folks. <laughs> I help manage all those folks, all those moving parts. But work-wise, I am the national chair of an organization called KSTEPPS, the Council for At-Risk Student Education Professional Standards. And um, it's a pretty cool gig. Um, I get to travel around the country, um, meet with educators, whether it's K-12 or higher ed. And mainly, I talk with them about our national certification program um, and just best teaching practices, whether they're working with uh, minoritized or underrepresented student populations, and then work with faculty on faculty development.
0: Courtney, it sounds like your work is highly aligned with improving cultures for all, so that all are represented and that all are feeling welcome in all those spaces. While we may aspire to serve students from all cultures, the truth is that education is not culturally neutral. Talk with me about that.
1: It's an interesting lens that people can come up with, right? As they go through the education system, they learn about themselves, they learn about other people. And so what I look at is the parts of culture that are left out of best teaching practices that actually motivate and engage students. So for instance, a lot of best practices say, you know, make clear objectives, right? And when we grade and we give feedback, we usually look at kind of a consultative, facilitation where it's like, I'm going to look at your work and then I'm going to consult you on how to make it better, which is actually aligned with English culture, Um, not Dutch or Irish, but English. But when you look at something like First Nations culture, that culture looks at interwoven competencies. And so when we're making objectives, we're not looking at things like storytelling and how building on that story can actually get learning gains. Um, Same with engaging learners. You know, a question you can ask your learners is something like, you know, if you could talk to your ancestor from 150 years ago about X subject, you know, what would you want to say or what would you want to tell them? And so it's a whole different way to engage students in that way. Um, and it's, it's really the piece that's missing. Um, we've tried everything else, right? We've tried, you know, different types of access. We've tried the curriculum itself, but we have not tried really restructuring how we're doing what we're doing and why it means something different to other people.
0: In addition to improving academic or learning outcomes for students in the education space, what else is important about assessing and improving whatever spaces we create for them, whether they're online or physical, so that they're welcoming, inclusive, and responsive to anyone that comes in?
1: I think it comes down to some of us as educators because we're planners, right? So we like our plans and we're used to our plans. And once our plans are kind of set, we just kind of roll with it because that's habit. But really to take a step back and say, what do I want people to experience while I'm facilitating? What do I really want my students to experience when I'm lecturing or when we're in a collaborative experience? And we don't really look at the experience. We look at what we're delivering and how we're delivering it. But we don't really look at the quality of the experience. And when we work backwards and we can look at an experience, say, this is the experience I'm trying to create. That's a lot easier to convey to students sometimes than it is to say, okay, here's the objective, right? So if we can identify the the how I want you to experience or some choices of experiencing this learning um, and then tying it to the objective, it's easier. And I think it's it, there's more buy-in there than the reverse.
0: As we're interacting with others in any kind of space, what might signal to us that people are feeling unwelcome in our learning spaces or that their needs aren't being met yet, even if they're not able to articulate it to us?
1: It really comes down to that basic psychology of fight, flight, or freeze. If you have a student who is talking with their feet and they're walking out every two seconds, right? If you have a student that you're really struggling to engage, or if you have that student that's just pushing back on everything that you're doing, something in that environment is, is triggering them to respond that way. So the question is, is how can I make my climate, my course climate more acceptable? And one of the, you know, or more palatable, I should say, to the students that are in our class. And one of the things you can do is look at students and say, okay, we can look and we can, instead of students, I have citizens and I have stakeholders and decision makers. And so those roles within the classroom can definitely change and shape how students are interacting with with us as instructors, as well as the curriculum.
0: A number of students and families may have had access to learning and to school interrupted during the pandemic. How can we as educators begin to anticipate and evaluate student needs with an eye not only to addressing learning loss or learning gaps, but helping people to reconnect positively with learning spaces?
1: I think we're all just going to have to be ready for the gap, right? Some of us are already ready because we're back and we're engaging with students. What we're going to have to be super mindful of is the anxiety. There's been a year and a half of anxiety to catch up with the face-to-face experience. And I also think just really giving all of our faculty and staff and the students time, there is a new normal and it's not going to look just like the old normal and it's not going to look like the older, older normal. Right. It's so really just being fair and letting students and faculty and parents know there's going to be a transition. And we might not have all the answers, and we might have to play it by ear. And the, here, here are the areas we anticipate playing it by ear, and here are the areas that we, we have a plan for. And I just think being transparent with that kind of stuff can save you know, on multiple levels.
0: Courtney, rather than make assumptions about what underserved or underrepresented learners or families may need, how might we draw them into the conversation about making school both welcoming and relevant for them?
1: I think it comes back to really understanding that our a lot of our parents did not have good school education experiences, right? So we're really talking to the experience rather than the person. It's that we're not calling parents in every time to tell them something negative about their child. right? And these are kind of the just the basics, you know, and it's hard because... Teachers, especially, have so much going on, right? They have so much going on. And one of the things, you know, I share with teachers is, you know, use the technology that's out there, you know, emails to your students and to the parents specifically. And they're just good news emails, right? And you're sending them once a month and it's, you know, hey, we had a great this or, you know, so and so did that. And just send it out and build that two way communication, building that buy in and building that support with parents and, anticipating the fact that we have to build a relationship before we do anything else, right? You know, a lot of people view, you know, just communicating with people so transactional, you know, and it really it's it's just what can I get or what do I need as opposed to, you know, let me put everything to the side and be present with this person in this moment. And I might not agree with what the person is saying, but I can understand. And it's it's as hard as it is, I I love working with faculty just to help them Learn to not take things so personally, you know, because as teachers, we are very, very protective of how we do our methods, how, you know, and all this time and effort and sweat equity that we put into our stuff. And because someone is upset, it doesn't take away from the value of your work. And really being able to separate those two things is really important.
0: I think that the opportunity to hold space for strong emotions with people is one of the real gifts that all of us working in any spaces are going to need to bring forward as we welcome people back after the pandemic. Addressing the emotions and relationships is going to continue to be key. Your business is providing frameworks and best practice advice for people working in a variety of educational spaces. What are your thoughts about the inner work that we as educators and others in service professions might need to attend to so that we can dig in in a heartfelt way with the frameworks?
1: For the last year and a half, a lot of people have been sitting with really heavy stuff. It's going to be hard to ask people to be reflective before we provide support in sorting those pieces out. So it's very hard to be like, now reflect on how you do this. It's like, Reflect. I'm trying to figure out what happened nine months ago when you told me my you know I had to leave my classroom that I've been in for 25 years to go home and do some remote something or other. Right. So people I think are still they, they have a new normal, but they need time to reflect on their personal experience before we ask them to start reflecting on the outside pieces. Educators pour out a lot um, at any level. And we haven't done a good job as a profession to provide them a space to be poured into, right? When the professional developments come down from the state or come down from the government or, you know, hey, it's this new great thing. It's kind of like a, hey, it's more stuff you have to do. It's more stuff you have to do as opposed to, you know what, you've been in this game 10 years and you've been pouring out and been a social worker and a teacher and a parent and a food liaison. And we haven't really talked about where you are with that, <laughs> you know. So I, I think that um, it's really just investing in our educators. I think that that's just key. We're fortunate because the curriculum that we have is reflective of the educator. So it's been really interesting to me because when when we started off on this project, kind of looking at the cultural stuff, we were focused on students, and we started getting a ton of emails from faculty members who were teaching at various schools, whether it's K-12 or um, higher education. And they were saying, oh, this is helping me understand my students. Like, it, so it was the reverse. So it was kind of some of those pieces that they needed just to feel more like, connected, you know, as opposed to, hey, this is something else you need to do. It was more of this is why you're not connecting. And I think that that's a big difference as well.
0: So in your work as a professor and in your work with your faculty, what would you all say are some of the key opportunities in working with the higher education, college, university space, and the adult students that you serve?
1: As far as unique opportunities, I I think each individual is unique. That's when, you know, you're doing this kind of work is, again, you know, it comes back to that being present. I think that it's interesting to hear, you know, adults link their experiences to their children's experiences. And then, you know, working with the adults, you really do get the aha moment. It's really just interesting to see how people get their aha moment. That's the uniqueness is, you know, what what clicks and you can see it. And, you know, as an educator, you see it, you're looking out at 25 faces and someone's like, oh. You know, are <laughs> writing it down and, you know, someone else is like shaking their head. It's just, you know, those different points where people really feel like they've got traction and can take those next steps.
0: What's next for you, Courtney? What has you fired up?
1: I'm really excited about using culture to increase learning gains. I just think that it's something that we haven't looked at. We've looked at psychological measures that are out there right now, and we can assess students for marginalization and the culture of stress. And based on those numbers, we can then give teachers an accommodation, for lack of a better word, and say, this is the best way to reach this student, and this is why. When a student is not making learning gains, we can measure that upholstery stress, measure the marginalization, and then look at social and academic spaces and say, here, teacher, you're struggling with XYZ kid, this is why, and here's some things you can try. So we're really excited about that.
0: How can listeners keep the conversation about this going with you, Courtney? What are the best ways to connect with you?
1: Oh, they can follow me on Twitter, Courtney underscore Plots. Um, they can also email me if they have any questions, Plots at uskseps.org. And if you just Google my name, Courtney Plots, I'm sure any of those <laughs> options will come up. So, you know, just thanks. I appreciate the opportunity for being here. So thanks for having me.
0: Dr. Courtney Plotz, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and I wish you continued success in your work and I look forward to staying in touch with you and we can celebrate more gains for all of the kids and all of the adults we serve. Thank you again so much.
1: Absolutely, Brad. Thank you.
0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Good News Brad News Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and leave a comment wherever you found this podcast. And if you like what you heard, please recommend Good News Brad News to a friend. And please hit me up on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at Brad, B-R-A-D underscore Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S. I look forward to hearing from you and to reconnecting with you on our next episode. Until then, get out there and do amazing things.